Well, good morning again. As always, it is a joy and privilege to be able to proclaim God's Word to you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you open up to Matthew chapter 4? We're in Matthew chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 12. And everything that we have seen so far in the Gospel of Matthew has been preparation and set up for Jesus' public ministry. Matthew told us about Jesus' background and identity in chapter 1. Then after his birth, the nations began to come to him, and then God protected him from Herod. In chapter 3, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord, and then Jesus is baptized and anointed for his ministry. And then we saw at the beginning of chapter 4 last week, that Jesus underwent temptation and testing in the wilderness as he prepared for his ministry. Today in Matthew 4, 12 to 25, we finally see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We finally hear the public words of Jesus and see the public acts of Jesus. And so we're going to see and hear from Jesus what the gospel is all about today. It's about the true king coming to establish his kingdom. But what we're going to see today is what the establishment of that kingdom means, particularly for a broken and sinful world like ours. But before we see that in God's word, let's ask for his help. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read your holy word, I ask that you would give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know and love your Son, Jesus Christ, more. Open our minds, our hearts, and our wills, so that we may hear your word and believe it. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your people are listening. Amen. This is Matthew chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, on his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. 
And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this opening statement about Jesus' public ministry, we're going to first see what he says, and we're going to ask the question, what is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is declaring is now at hand? And then we're going to ask a question that I believe this text answers for us. What does it look like when the kingdom of heaven comes into a sinful and broken world like ours? And we're going to see the way that the text answers that question for us. First, Jesus' message is the same message that we already saw from John the Baptist. Verse 17 is word for word what John said in Matthew 3, 2. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look a little bit further down, you'll see that Matthew uses the idea of kingdom again to summarize Jesus' message. Verse 23 says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Those two phrases, the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of the kingdom, might sound strange to you. You might be surprised if you ask someone, what is the good news that Christianity teaches? And they responded with, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. That's not normally how we summarize The gospel, and there are many other summaries of the gospel in Scripture, so it's okay that that's not the answer that we always give. But Matthew, particularly, time and time again, explains the good news by talking about the kingdom of heaven. That phrase, or the shortened form of kingdom, shows up 50 times in Matthew's gospel. Just for comparison, the word gospel itself shows up four times in Matthew. And three of them, it looks exactly like it looks here in verse 23. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. So what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about when he talks about the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven? Part of the answer is what we've already seen a lot in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is a king. Matthew makes this clear from the beginning to the end. He began the book by telling us that Jesus is the Christ, or the anointed one, and he is King David's son. That's all the way back in verse 1 of chapter 1. Jesus is the long-awaited king from God who will rule over an eternal kingdom. All of that Old Testament expectation is answered and found in Jesus. We saw that in Matthew chapter 1, and then a king is exactly what the Magi were looking for in chapter 2. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. From day 1 and from verse 1, it has been clear that Jesus is a king. He is the promised king of the Old Testament, the promised king who the saints have been waiting and longing for. After the resurrection, Jesus goes up with his disciples at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And what does he say on the mountain? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Kingdoms have kings. 
And Jesus is the long-awaited king that God had promised to send. But Jesus doesn't just tell us that a kingdom is at hand, but that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does he mean when he says the kingdom of heaven? If you read commentaries on the Gospel of Matthew, you will read some scholars who say that Matthew has Jesus saying kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God, which is what the other Gospel writers typically use, because Jews didn't like to use the name God. They were afraid of taking the name of the Lord in vain, and so they didn't like to use the word God. So, as it is assumed, Matthew's being sensitive to that. And really just means the same thing as the kingdom of God. But that's a bad answer. That is not why Matthew is continually saying kingdom of heaven on Jesus' lips, especially because Matthew uses the word God 45 times in this book. And even uses the phrase kingdom of God five times. Nowhere else does Matthew or Jesus have a problem offending the Jewish sensibilities of his readers? So why the phrase, the kingdom of heaven? We need to see that Matthew and Jesus are intentional in using this phrase because heaven has an important place in Matthew's gospel. Where, at the end of chapter 3, do we see Jesus' mission coming from? From heaven. In Jesus' baptism, we saw the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus and anointed Him for ministry. And then the Father, a voice from heaven, proclaimed His love for His Son. This comes up later in the book, but what does Jesus say to believers when they are persecuted? Or when they do good things and no one notices? Or when they are tempted that... They are tempted to pour all their energy into attaining a bunch of stuff in this life. What does he say to them? He says that the antidote to that is to remember that your reward and your treasure are in heaven. We see this in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, and to say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God teaches us in His Word that there is a realm, a place where God's will is perfectly adhered to and perfectly obeyed, where evil cannot intrude and so death and disease and demons have no existence. It's a realm where God is king and so righteousness and holiness are perfectly present and perfectly rewarded. Heaven needs no correctional facilities because every creature there sings God's praises from the heart and obeys His will. There is a place like that right now that the Bible calls heaven. What the Bible teaches is not that the kingdom of heaven is something that doesn't exist yet, but will grow into existence slowly over time. No, it teaches that the kingdom of heaven is something that exists Right now. And so what is the kingdom of heaven? It's the place where God rules and reigns. The place where righteousness and holiness dwell. The place where there is no sin or sorrow or sickness or disaster. In other words, a place untouched 
by the fall of man. That is what heaven is like according to Scripture. And so notice what Jesus is proclaiming in His ministry. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll remember when we looked at this, when John said it in Matthew chapter 3, that phrase, at hand, or the way that the NIV translates it, the kingdom of heaven has come near, doesn't refer to something future that is about to happen. It refers to something that is already in the process of happening now. When Jesus is proclaiming, as he begins his ministry, that the kingdom of heaven, this realm where God rules, where sin or death does not exist, only life and righteousness, he is proclaiming that that kingdom is intervening into our world. With the coming of King Jesus, we see the coming of heaven to earth. So now we ask that question. What does it look like when the kingdom of heaven comes into a sinful and broken world like the one that we live in? Look with me at verses 23 through 25. And he, that's Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. When the kingdom of heaven comes into a sinful and broken world like ours, it looks like death giving way to life. Evil giving way to goodness. Matthew says this in a different way in verse 16. Look at the way he describes the world that Jesus enters into in the quote from Isaiah 9. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew specifically uses this to talk about the region of Galilee, where Jesus' ministry Began, But very quickly, we see that this is a description of the whole world. We are a people dwelling in darkness, a people dwelling in the region and shadow of death. That is where Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven. Look at that list of people in verse 24. It says they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. What are all of those things? Where did all of those things, sickness and disease and pain and demons, come from? All those things came from the fall. They came from Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve disobeyed God And so, as Paul says in Romans 5, death spread to all men. These are all a part of the curse that came from the fall. 
God says to Eve in Genesis 3, after the fall, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then to Adam, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Good things that are now riddled with pain. This was not a part of God's good original creation. Paradise was not filled with pain and sickness and death, but with life and health and joy. And so what does it look like for Jesus to bring the kingdom of heaven to this world? It looks like restoration. Health being given to those who are sick. Life being given to those who are dying. As we sing in that great hymn, Joy to the World, He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. King Jesus has come to restore the good creation that was twisted and corrupted by the fall. But if that's the case, what is going on in verses 18 to 22? How is that a description of the kingdom of heaven coming into a broken and sinful world? Let's read these verses again together. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus begins his ministry. The king begins establishing the kingdom. The God-man comes to bring heaven to earth And he goes and gets a few fishermen to leave their fish and follow him. How does this make sense? How is this the kingdom of heaven coming into the world? In order to understand what's going on here, we need to understand the nature of sin. Because the story of the fall of mankind is not just a story of death and sickness and disease coming into the world. Those things are stems and leaves and fruit that grow from a root deep in the ground. And the name the Bible gives to that root is sin. We read the account of Genesis 3 last week, but the turning point in Genesis 3 is what Satan, the serpent, said that sin will give to Adam and Eve. In verse 4, he says, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve had been given life and health and joy all from the hand of God. And what Satan convinced them of is that they were better off without God. They could find more life and health and joy on their own than they could with God. Sin is not just breaking God's law. It is rejecting God as God. 
God was the king over them, but they wanted to be their own kings. They didn't want God to have his rightful authority over them anymore. They wanted autonomy and independence. They wanted to choose how they would live by pushing God out of the picture. Sin is pushing God off the throne and demanding that you be your own king. Listen to the way that author Paul Tripp describes the problem of sin in our lives. He says, we are all kingdom-oriented people. We always live in the service of one of two kingdoms. Either we live in service of the small, personal happiness agenda of the kingdom of self, or we live in the service of the huge origin to destiny agenda of the kingdom of God. When we live for the kingdom of self, our decisions, thoughts, plans, actions, and words are directed by personal desire. We know what we want, where we want it, why we want it, how we want it, when we want it, and who we would prefer to deliver it. We seek to surround ourselves with people who will serve our kingdom purposes. And we evaluate them not from the perspective of the laws of God's kingdom, but from the perspective of the laws of our kingdom. He then says that changing that, changing that commitment to the kingdom of self, begins when you begin to pray this radical prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here, right now in my life as it is in heaven. Sin is not just about breaking God's law. It's about demanding to be kings of our own little kingdoms, what Paul Tripp calls the kingdom of self. It's about living your life for you and your own desires. When Jesus comes into the world, he comes as the one true king. He comes to take away the small personal happiness agenda of the kingdom of self and calls you to live in the service of the huge origin to destiny agenda of the kingdom of God. He calls you to hand over the authority of self and submit instead to his good wise authority. That's what Jesus is doing with these four disciples here in verses 18 to 22. Remember, he begins the summary of his ministry with the word repent, turn. The king is here, so give up your rebellion. Give up your own little kingdom. Repent and come into the service of his kingdom. That's what he is calling these first disciples to do. Now, to be clear, the point of the passage is not that fishing is a sinful vocation. The point is also not, just so we're clear, that Jesus calls every one of you to leave your ordinary, regular life that you are living right now. Your job, or your parents, or the city you live in. In Mark 5, Jesus heals a man possessed by a legion of demons. 
And as Jesus gets into the boat to leave, the man begs him to let him come with him. But Mark says, And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Repentance for this man meant staying exactly where he was and living a life transformed by Jesus in that place. If we try to take every story in the Gospels as a direct command for our life, we are going to get confused. I was talking to Weston Duke about these verses this week, and I thought his takeaway was great. He said, repentance may not look like a change in vocation for you, but it does mean giving up authority over your life. You are not in charge anymore. This is what Jesus is saying to these disciples, and this is what he says to you. The good news is that I have not just come as king of the world, but I have come as the king of your life. Stop serving your own little kingdom and begin serving the kingdom that you were made for. This is why these two paragraphs next to each other at the beginning of Jesus' ministry are so important. Because we are thrilled to hear that Jesus has come back to push, has come to push back the curse of death and sickness and disease. We are overjoyed to hear that pain and sorrow and sadness are coming to an end. But then when King Jesus tells us to stop living for ourselves and to begin living for him, it doesn't sound like such good news to us. That's because we are blind. We are blind to the misery of our own sin and selfishness. We are blind to the connection between sin and death, selfishness and sorrow. Like Adam and Eve, we still think that we would be better off if we did things our way. We still believe the lie that living for ourselves would be good for us. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of heaven isn't a place where you continue to live in autonomy and selfishness, but you don't have sickness or sorrow anymore. That is not possible. Jesus will not take away your pain and leave you in your sin. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven, and he is going to eradicate all the curses of the fall. He will not let you cling to money as your treasure. He will not let you withhold forgiveness from others. He will not let you be consumed by lust or envy or people-pleasing or bitterness. Remember the promise of the angel in Matthew 1.21. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is what that looks like. It looks like those with sickness and diseases returning to health. It looks like those who are oppressed by demons being restored. It looks like those who are in pain being relieved. And it looks like those who are living for their own little kingdom of self being set free to live for the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus has come to do. The gospel message is not one or the other. We Christians continually swing the pendulum on this. Jesus has not just come 
to save your soul. You are a unity of body and soul. From beginning to end, God cares about your body. He looked at it in creation and said, it is very good. Your body bears the curse of the fall, but Jesus comes taking a human body to himself and then relieving people of their bodily ailments. What is the last line that we just confessed in the Apostles' Creed this morning? We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. God cares about your body. He cares about your pain and your frustration and the fact that your body is wasting away. He will not leave your body to decay, but promises to resurrect and restore it for life everlasting. But Christianity is not just about the body. We are not materialists or naturalists who think that what you see is all there is. You have a soul, and your soul is marred with sin. Jesus did not come to relieve you of your immediate pain and leave your soul to be consumed by sin. The root of death is sin, and Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. Whole people body, and soul. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus has come into the world to free you of your sin and restore the goodness of creation. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. But the very obvious fact is that we do not see the fullness of this kingdom right now. There are still people in this room who are sick, who are in pain. All of us in this room are in the process of dying. All of us in this room still fight sin daily and give in frequently. This is the question the disciples are constantly asking Jesus. What are you waiting for? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you not going to judge evil and sin now? Are you bringing the kingdom or not? And Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. He continually shows that his timing is not our timing. We want all of this now. But Jesus has a different plan. Peter says in Matthew 16 that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We're about to enter into a season that we call Advent, which means coming. It's a season of waiting, remembering how the people of God in the Old Testament waited for the coming of Jesus into the world. But it's also a season to recognize that we too are waiting, waiting for the return of Jesus, waiting for Jesus to bring the kingdom of heaven in full, waiting for Jesus to restore our broken bodies, to cast out evil and sin once and for all. 
And so we wait. But we don't wait in despair. We wait in hope and trust and expectation. We cling to the sure and certain promises of God. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What we see in Matthew chapter 4 in part is what we will one day see in full. The kingdom of heaven is breaking into our world. The king has come. And so we live and we trust and we pray in hope and in confidence as we wait for him to bring his kingdom in full. Would you all pray with me? Father, we do pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that for those who are being persecuted across this world because of their love for you and their confidence in Jesus. We pray that for ourselves as we see that our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. We pray that for ourselves as we fight sin and temptation. We cry out, how long, O Lord? But we pray it in trust. We pray it in confidence, knowing that you will one day do what you have said you will do. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.